Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore the central role design plays in our everyday lives and how, if harnessed correctly, has the power to positively transform the way that we live, design better businesses and sustainable solutions for the planet. We speak to creative entrepreneurs around the world about how they inspire their ideas to life and how they make it all work and the role design plays in their lives. I'm your host, founder of Frost Collective and author of Design Your Life, Vince Frost. Welcome to today's episode of Design Your Life. Today I catch up with my business partner and managing director here at Frost Collective, Carlo Gianasca. Carlo is one of the most highly regarded wayfinding and experiential designers in the world and has played a major role in bringing to life city-shaping projects across Asia-Pacific. Tune in as we chat about his passion for the Swiss-type grid, the science behind wayfinding design, and his other passion in life as a fourth Dan black belt, Karate Sensei. After this episode, we'll be taking a break over the festive season, and we'll be back at the end of January. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast, and I hope you find these conversations interesting, entertaining, and inspiring. We couldn't do this without the brilliant team behind the podcast, and thank you guys for all that you do. Luca Frost, our producer, Sarah Clark, our writer, Taryn Langman, our designer, and Louis Frost, our sound editor. Hey, Carlo, welcome to Design Your Life. It's good that you're here. Thank you, Vince. We're in our Sydney studio. Um, Carlo is a really good friend. Um, he is a business partner of mine, and we have been working together for 20 years, which has been really, really cool. And it's not often that we get a sit down together no, and have it isn't. A, a conversation, <laughs> uh, certainly about your life in, in more generally about how you got into design and, mm. and all that. So yeah. I'm really excited to do that. We did that with Ant uh, recently, which yes. is cool, another partner. And so it's good to have you here, Carlo. Thank you, Vince. Happy to be here. And we've used this room, the podcast room, for all kinds of meetings over <laughs> exactly. the years. So it's not... It's very familiar to me. It is. <laughs> very familiar surroundings. Good meetings, bad meetings, etc. But um, So we've known each other for 20 years, which is a very, very long time. Um, and we've been business partners since 2004. Mm. Um, and you played a critical role in the building of the business of what it is today as, as Frost Collective. Um, you're the managing director here at Frost, and, and mm. uh, it's really cool. I, I feel it's really cool to see, to be working with you for all this time and to see you have evolved from a designer mm. uh, to a head of a business and now, now the MD for the last, mm. um, how many years, three or four years? Yeah. Coming up to four and, years, yeah. and it's it's really cool to see that evolution because not everybody can do that. Not everybody can can evolve from a designer to uh, owning a business or or, yeah. or running a business, and it's, it's it's complex. And and you're doing an incredible job at that. So thank you for that. That's right. Yeah, I think it just it just requires a different type of mindset and um, sort of emotional and you know, I guess intellectual capacity and being yeah. able to kind of like you know be able to adapt and. Obviously, a big part of running a business is being able to talk to all levels of, of the business. Yeah. Uh, be very empathetic and sort of really sort of um, be solutions focused. I found that that's really kind of something that design has taught me, you know, yes. about kind of being trying to find a solution to a problem. Yeah, absolutely. And, and people always love you here and <laughs> uh, you get incredibly good feedback all the time, which is really cool too. So, you're kind of run, running the business with kindness and uh, I think respect, which I think is, makes a massive difference mm. um, to people's happiness and clarity around what they're doing. You kind of, what always impressed me was not just your creativity, but how methodical you are. Mm. And I thought that you would either be a 
you'd be more likely suited to being a brain surgeon or someone with incredible <laughs> technical my, skills. My hands are that steady, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but again, that's, that's, that's kind of in a way, I mean, I know architects are more so that mm. way. They're more methodical and more yep. detail-oriented. Designers tend to be more loose and, yep. and not, not great with them. That's a generalization, of course. I'm talking sure. about myself. <laughs> <laughs> but, but just that, that incredible skill you have of, um, you know, even your presentations to the management team were phenomenal, beautifully <laughs> executed, accurate, <laughs> and you take great pride in that. But yep. I guess I want to kind of wonder where has that come from? Well, what, you know, you're, you come from a strong Italian family, and, yep. and, and what was your childhood like? And uh, let's just start with that. Yeah, look, I mean, it was obviously a very, you know, uh, disciplined upbringing, obviously being, you know, traditional, um, you know, uh, immigrant family that sort of migrated out to Australia in the uh, in the late 50s, um, you know, um, for a very sort of for a very strong father figure in particular, you know, it was very, it was quite a strong disciplinarian. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the sort of the, the Catholic upbringing, you know, a lot of that sort of discipline that comes around uh, that as well. And um, I, th- I think... Just from 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 my sort of perspective, I was always someone who was a very curious kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I, just, I still remember, uh, you know, mm, disassembling a toy as soon as I got it because I just wanted to figure out how it worked. You know, like yeah. <laughs> to, much to the annoyance of my of my mother, because um, <laughs> like I just bought a toy and now it's all broken and I can't figure out where that last screw goes to put it back together again. Um, but I think, you know, even though the fact that, you know, that, they, that it was quite a, f- a disciplined upbringing, I felt that I think that my parents still kind of gave me some freedom um, to sort of express myself. Um, I, this might sound a bit incongruous to the fact that they were restrictive in other areas of my yeah. life, but they did actually allow me to, for example, draw on the, on the walls in my bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Which, um, I mean, I've recounted these stories to people and they still can't believe that. that what were they, like, get me out of here? <laughs> Help me? <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't remember now what they were. I, mean, I wish I'd taken a photograph or have a, have a, a, a visual record of, of what they were. But I do remember even getting up on, 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 the, on chairs and drawing. Wow. And it was one of those old Federation houses, so it kind of got pretty high up. By the time I moved, we moved out of that house, I was about 14 or 15. So, yeah. um, And I think... One, I guess, one of the sort of, I guess, sort of seminal points in my life was uh, when I was about ten years old, and um, my parents uh, took us out of school for three months, and we went to Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think that was very eye-opening because we went, we visited, you know, Rome and Venice, Florence, Milan, Pisa, and I still remember my first recollection of uh, walking into uh, St Peter's wow. uh, Basilica and just being absolutely gobsmacked by just the, the the scale of the place. It's just, you know, I mean, I, I actually joined you, just went there last year again and I st- it still affects me the same way because it's just, you know, the incredible um, detail and, and the amount of work that went into it. And I think that appreciating and seeing great art and the Sistine Chapel, I remember I still remember going into that and seeing all those beautiful paintings of Michelangelo and various art galleries that we went and visited and just again, just immersing ourselves in you know, particular. I loved Venice in particular, yeah. a, even from a early age, you know, being only ten years old. Just, I remember um, one one day when we were in Venice, I uh, slipped out of the the, the hotel um, unbeknownst to my parents, and I just went wandering through the streets of Venice. And wow, and I remember it started to rain, and I was like, oh god, I got to get back to, I got to. Fi-. And somehow I, was, I managed to sort of figure out 
how to get um, how to get back. So in a way that um, quite intuitively, the way that the the, the, the city is designed, you can just follow yeah. follow the, the the winding streets and you can, you can find your way around. That's yeah. really cool. That's yeah. really cool to kind of see that side of your your culture, living being brought up yourself in Australia. Yep, that must have been a massive eye opener to you. It was, and I mean, even though you know we did have, you know, obviously the Italian um, influence was still very strong. I mean, I you know, my aunties and uncles, and I was actually kind of my, my very close to my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, also, um, particularly the first sort of five years um, of my life, um, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother because my parents. Obviously, went straight back to work as soon as, as soon as they had the kids. So my my, my grandmother, uh, you know, looked after me. You know, before I started school. So Italian was actually my first my first language because mm. my, my grandmother couldn't speak English. So you know, I you know um, did did have a very strong cultural you know um, influence. Like from from an Italian perspective. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I think I think it's great to have that you know that dichotomy of you know having. Although living in Australia, but also having that strong sort of Italian roots as well. At, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all, all the the food and the cooking and the yeah. family importance of family, etc., is so incredible. Very much so. Yeah. What was school like for you? Um, look, I don't. I can't say that I was a naturally a very academic student. You know, um, in my in my early years, um, I um, I think because I I've, I was more of a creative um, mindset. I kind of found a lot of the sort of classes, you know, boring or, you know, like you know, particularly things like maths or science. I was kind of like, you know, this is, I want, I'd rather be out there sort of doing stuff, you know, like yeah. making things. And I loved sort of, I loved, you know, art classes and everything because we do, you know, we used to do sculpture, you know, with clay and we used to paint and draw. And I used to love more that sort of expression of, of, of what you were feeling mm-hmm. rather than sort of, you know, being sat down in a, you know, obviously going to Catholic schools, it was though, you know, it was very much a, a very strong discipline. You know, like if you looked the wrong way, you'd get pulled out the front and, and given a cane on the <laughs> on your hands. Or yeah. So it was um it was a very different kind of like obviously to, to what it is now. Obviously, you know, that doesn't happen anymore. But it was, no. it, I guess, it kind of forms you in a way. Yeah. Because it kind of makes you um, very disciplined and makes you want to not you know do the wrong thing because you know that you know you're going to get yeah. you're going to get a whack if you don't if you you know if you don't do the right thing so i think that kind of shapes you in some way yeah i had that in canada uh, not in canada in england when i went back there um i was caned quite a few times mm. and it's, it's <laughs> not surprisingly <laughs> <laughs> you had to get that in cheeky bugger <laughs> <laughs> um but it was for the the simplest thing nothing mm. really oh, yeah. terrible um but the pain was incredible but yeah. it, what it did make you understand and Understand that there was authority. Yes, <laughs> it kept you in your place. It does, which today it doesn't feel like that exists, does it? Not as much. I don't think so. I mean, I I, I don't I don't don't have any school age kids anymore, so I don't I don't really know. But I under, I'm sure that there's you know, obviously no there's no corporal punishments in, in any schools anymore. What was uh, your first job out of out of um, design school? Well, how uh, did, first of all, how did you get to design school? Yeah, look, I mean, I I um. Because I, I was always wa- I always wanted to do something with you know with with art because I mean I, I remember sort of always sort of bringing around a, a sketchbook every time we used to go and visit my aunties or uncles or my grandmother and I'd sketch uh, I'd sketch them you know I always yeah. loved the idea of drawing and I loved the idea of you know, um, you know even painting oil paintings and things like that so I always wanted to do something which was creative I didn't I know I didn't I know I didn't didn't want to you know be like an accountant or a lawyer much to the, 
you know, the disgust of, of my dad when I announced that I was um, wanted to do, you know, um, wanted to go to Sydney College of the Arts and study, you know, visual communications, which was essentially the, the, the graphic design sort of course. Yeah. Um, and I, um, I knew that if I wanted to do that, I had to get really good marks. Um, so my last year of high school, I basically just buckled and buckled down and just studied and and made sure that I would get good grades so that I could. I think they only accepted like thirty five students to that that right. course, and I had to go and do an interview and show a portfolio. So I kind of always knew that I wanted to do something creative. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to be an accountant or a lawyer or you know anything like that. You know, yeah. I wanted to actually do something which gave me joy and and creating and drawing and painting and that stuff did give me joy. Wow. Um, and it was it what you expected? Look, it definitely opened my eyes to sort of what was possible because it was a very multidisciplinary co- course. I was, I was able to do, you know, um, film and video, photography, as well as, you know, um, learning the sort of the basics of, of design, graphic design. Yeah. Um, so it definitely broadened my, I guess, my uh, understanding of what creativity and design could be. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely more than I expected. Mm, cool. Uh, and it certainly, you know, exposed me to, some, I mean, I had a couple of great lecturers who uh, really kind of influenced me and sort of really piqued my interest in, in modernist design. Um, yeah. you know, and that introduced me to, you know, Swiss School of Design and modernism. And, um, yeah, I think that that kind of really kind of made me see how exciting uh, a career in that, in that area could be. Any, any specific tutors you want to mention? Yeah, look, I, um, um, Harry Williamson was, was one of my, um, my, my tutors, and also Simon Pemberton. Oh, they, yeah. were, they were quite, uh, quite influential, um, particularly Simon with, with typography in particular. Yeah. Um, you know, very much appreciation of, of crafting typography. Uh, Harry was very, introduced me to a lot of the modernist designers, particularly Paul Rand, and mm. I really became a, a fan of his work and the way that he kind of brings you know, the artistic aspect to, to design. I don't know. You're a huge fan of Massimo Vignelli. Massimo Vignelli, yeah. I mean, I think I like the the rigor that he he brought to his work, and I th- and I think even to this day, I, I you know I like to design with a grid, and <laughs> I like to kind of yeah. you know I think that that kind of scientific aspect, um, you know, where there's a there's a sort of a structure to something, yeah, that, that you can kind of almost like design within boundaries or within a kind of I call it like freedom within boundaries, because it kind of gives you some structure to kind of follow, but you're able to kind of be expressive within that. I guess we're from the generation where that was really predominantly for print, wasn't it? It was. Um, and it was all about hierarchy, so, you know, the story, the headlines, the furniture, the grids. Exactly, the, all of that. Yeah. And I like the craft of all of that. Uh, and even yeah. to this day, I love, you know, even though I'm not like sort of designing a lot of you know, work anymore, I still kind of appreciate sort of seeing well-crafted uh, work. Um, yeah, I guess yeah. with technology today... I mean, the, it, it used to horrify me when I see our <laughs> digital designers working very so loosely without yes. a gr- without a grid or one yeah. column, <laughs> yes. you know, and just not that same care of yes. the detail. Exactly. I think that's been improved over time, but yeah. there was a time where it just felt like yes. PowerPoint presentations. Yeah, exactly. But um, I know you and I would kind of, you know, look <laughs> terrified at each other <laughs> if we saw some stuff. Exactly. Oh, man. And so where, where did you go from design school? So, yeah, so um, my first job out of college was uh, uh, at an advertising agency called um, uh, Davis Madden. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I was um, um, the creative director from, from that agency. A guy called Martin Pollard uh, came to the end of 
our end of year show. Yep. Um, and he was impressed um, with my, my major work. That, um, for, uh, for that particular um, year, I actually developed um, uh, an AIDS campaign, a series of posters and a, and a TV commercial. Wow. Um, and, yeah, he quite, uh, he quite liked that work and went for an interview and basically offered me the job on the spot. Was that after the HIV pandemic? That was when it was happening, yeah. So, I mean, I, I um, did a lot of research. I went and, and, and interviewed people, um, doctors, as well as patients who were suffering because um, I thought at the time that was a very... Um, there was no cure. No, there wasn't. And um, a lot of the campaigns that were happening at the time were very much fear-based. Yeah. And once I interviewed a lot of the doctors and people at the, um, you know, the AIDS clinic, um, they were saying, look, we really need to sort of communicate um, and, and cut through all of the, you know, all of the um, fear yeah. and really kind of um, educate people. Yeah. So there was an opportunity, and, and that's, the, that's the approach that I took. With my work is very much about educating people about what, what the tr- we know what, what what was really going on and what you know, trying to kind of, um, you know, cut through and, and um, de- debunk you know any of the, you know, any of the kind of communications that were hap- happening in the media at the time about the, about this disease. Um, so yeah, I, f- I found it I found it a really I- enjoyable project and um, ended up producing a, gr- a great work that you know, piece of work body of work that uh, got me. My first job. Oh, that's cool. And, and it's, it, I just, I, I don't know, don't even remember hearing about that. But we've, we've been working with Acon here yes. in Australia yes. and in Sydney for maybe 15 years on yep. their ending HIV yeah. campaigns uh, every year. And, mm. and um, it sounds incredibly similar in terms of the... Yeah, I, I can show, actually show you some of the work later if you like. <laughs> we'll put it on the slideshow. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then where did you go to from there? So How I, long were you there for? So I was only there for 12 months um, because sadly at the end of 1986, um, um, tragic events happened uh, where the terrorists targeted and destroyed um, a number of the, the planes of, of our major client, Air Lanka, mm-hmm. um, and basically all, all the sort of most of the work of the, of the company um, stopped. Wow. And so uh, pretty much most of the, the staff was, was retrenched. So pretty much sort of after 12 months, I found myself um, out of a job. I'd only been married for, I think, uh, two or three months. And I was kind of like um, a little bit kind of distressed at the time. But I guess in a twist of fate, um, the creative director, Martin, uh, mentioned that a friend of his, um, uh, Gary Emery, was looking to establish an office um, in Sydney. Um, Gary had, um, had won a number of significant projects in Sydney for the Bicentenary. Yeah. Um, and basically required, you know, sort of set up an office in Sydney to, to service those projects. And, um, yeah, I, I applied and, um, yeah, uh, was accepted for the role. So I was the, the first um, first designer that um, Gary employed in, wow. in the Sydney office. Jeez. Uh, so at the time that was being was being run by um, uh, Penny Bowering. Yeah. Um, and um, one, of, one, of, um, one, one of Gary's senior designers, uh, Ray Parslow, came up from... Uh, from Melbourne, and uh, yeah, we pretty much a startup. There was only about four or five of us at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that was really cool, sort of to kind of start from that fairly humble beginnings. Yeah, uh, humble beginnings, but but equally, Gary's reputation was huge, wasn't it? From he was one of the, I guess, first kind of superstar designers in this country. Absolutely, design branding designers, exactly. wayfinding designer. He was incredible. Definitely, and I think that the, the rigor that that um, Gary sort of applied to all his work. Really, definitely had a huge impact on yeah. on, on the way I became a, a way I grew as a designer. Yeah, um, there was a lot of rigor, and, and Gary 
did a lot of work with architects in particular. Yeah. And so we got the opportunity to do a lot of, you know, work in environmental graphics, signage and wayfinding. And that's kind of where I pretty much sort of, you know, learnt that, that uh, discipline on the job. Well, yeah, and, and I, I think I, I presume that that rigor came from that closely working with architects and seeing their rigor because architects Absolutely. have that same rigor. Whereas traditionally, you know, I came from, from London. A lot, of des- a lot of designers I was used to working with didn't have that mm. incredible focus on that, that detail. Absolutely. Because I mean, when you're doing architecture or science and wayfinding, it's physical thing in the public domain. There's masses of responsibility regarding... Health and safety and uh, safety predominantly and yeah. and all that. There's a lot to consider when, you, when you're designing a wayfinding program. And apart from all the legislation that, that needs to be followed, um, it needs to be very, very carefully planned. And I think that that's, I guess, one of the aspects that, that attracted me so much to it is that I kind of say it's almost like equal parts science and, and art. Yeah. And so you've actually got to get the, the, the planning and the, you know, that structure right before you can actually sort of express yourself creatively. Yep. Well, we we met in 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we met earlier, actually, because I used to come over um, when I was living in London, come over to Australia for Christmas um, in Melbourne. Yep. And often I'd go see Gary at the time uh, for a quick catch-up. But um, on the back of kind of an, an Agda series talk that I did, Seven Cities in Seven Days, I think it was. Wow. Um, Sounds exhausting. Yeah, it was exhausting. <laughs> and I got back to, it was a frosty May, I think it was called. And I got back to London and I had a couple of phone calls, one from Ray Parslow. Yes. Uh, and then one from Peter Cleminger, who was the son of the founder of Cleminger, the advertising agency in, in, out of Melbourne, yep. um, around would I consider coming to Australia and um, being Gary Emery's mm. um, joint CEO, joint creative director. And it was really incredible opportunity to mm, do that mm. um, because both Melbourne and Sydney uh, were sizable business, had incredible reputations. I still mm. had my London studio mm. and came straight back and, you know, in 2003 moved back here with my um, young family at the time to Melbourne um, with a view that bringing the two studios together under the name Emery Frost. It yep. was Emery Vincent and then it was Gary Emery Design Yep. It was, it, it, and not, not to realize, <laughs> I realized later down the track well, well, that, that it was actually an impossible task to bring mm-hmm. them both together again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so fortunately, we had the opportunity, you and myself and uh, Ray Parslow, mm. had the opportunity to buy the business off of Cleminger. Yep. And we were rebadged Frost in 2006. Um, and we've gone from strength to strength since then. So it's yep. been an interesting kind of rocky, rocky beginning. Yeah. Um, probably for you, m- probably for you because you were part of, you know, Gary Emery design, Emery Vincent from way, yeah. way back. The con- there's probably a, a, an element, uh, you are the continuity between all of it, I guess, <laughs> uh, as people have come and go- gone over the years. Yeah, look, I mean, I think that, um, you know, at the time it was quite nerve-wracking because you didn't know what was going to happen, you know, like this is all new and we didn't have the backing of a big kind of... Um, you know, big agency like Clemenger's and it was like, well, how are we going to go? But obviously, you know, that was that fear was unfounded. Um, um, I think that, you know, we really kind of um, launched into the Australian market market very strongly. Yeah. And you had your amazing exhibition at the Sydney Opera House. And yeah, that was cool. And, yeah, and Sorry Trees book, you know, we really built up a yeah, yeah. momentum very quickly. And, um, yeah, I mean, we really started to get some amazing projects 
I guess that for together, we've just been passionate about doing great work, mm. doing it really, really well. Yep. Great relationships with our client, but and also what's so important is the culture of, of our company. Yes, the people are our business. You know, even though we were around for a very long yep. time prior, <laughs> there's so many people coming and going into the business. Young people coming sure. up through the ranks, and that's we've realized, I guess, over time how important that culture is. What what is it? How does it um, for both of us learning how to create a business or. Yep design a better business yeah. every day, every year, year after year is, exactly. is really kind of exciting and challenging yeah. as well. It's not an exact science. And I think that, um, you know, I think if you recruit to your values, you're always going to get the right type of people. And I think that, you know, by and large, you know, we've, we have, we have, we have brought a lot of really great people yeah. into the business and, um, you know, who've really kind of contributed to, to the growth of the business and, and to the quality of the output, you know, and I think that as long as you continue to kind of, you know, um, s- stay true to your values and, and and hire according to those values, you're always going to get yeah. a, a good, you know, a good balance and a good um, a good outcome, you know, with with the, with the people that you bring in. It's interesting. I often say that at design school they taught me nothing about business. I mean, <laughs> maybe design school now does, but mm. th- was it the same for you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And obviously there was there was a uh, I remember I did, I did one course. I think it might have been first or second year that there was a, a business course where we had to, you know. Um, but uh, you know, looking back at what I learned then and what I actually know now, you know, it doesn't didn't even scratch the surface. I think yeah. once you actually get, you know, in amongst it and actually running a business, you know, yeah. it, it's it's very different to just learning it from a from a textbook. I think it's, you know, you've actually got to live it to to really appreciate it and to actually get better at it. You've actually got to go through the through the bumps and scrapes to kind of really have those lessons yeah. embedded. How, how for you, because we're, we're of the same generation, you're slightly older, not too much, <laughs> but we're from the same generation where we started off way before computers. Mm, and, yeah. you know, so the craft of making, and also at design school, it was less about, from my perspective, it was less about collaboration. It was more about our teachers seemed to want us to all create our own ideas exactly. and yeah. protect them and present <laughs> them and fight for them. Exactly, yes. Whereas was. today, it seems like it's all about co-creation. Mm-hmm. I mean, technology's changed things enormously. How, how has that evolution been for you? Yeah, look, I mean, to your point, I mean, when I, my, my first job, you know, um, out of university, everything was all done. Like, if you walked into the studio, it looked like an architectural studio with the, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the desk with the... The slide rule and yeah, the, the little those. spotlight and you know you'd used to draw things with a rotary pen and yeah. you know and letter set and rub and down rub downs yeah, and yeah. used to make our own letter set and we used to have a, a dark room where we would um, you know photograph and enlarge text and images and stuff like that so there was a lot, a lot more of a, a it felt a lot slower as well like it didn't feel like the, there was that kind of urgency and pace and you know, clients didn't expect to see something the very next day they knew that. You know, this was a process that took time. Yeah. I remember my, uh, one of the first annual reports that that I that I did. You know, you know, you'd have to get you get the copy from the client. You'd you'd mark it up. You'd send it off to a typesetter. Then you'd have to wait a, a day or two before it got couriered back to you. Then you'd yeah. you'd cut it up and you'd enlarge bits of it and then you'd you know put it through the waxer and you know, squeak, you know roll it down and compose. That was, that was high technology at the time. <laughs> yes, but I mean, it, 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 there wasn't this kind of crazy sort of. You know, you got to give me, you know, three options, and I need them tomorrow, sort of thing. It was, yeah. there were, you could you could spend time thinking about it and crafting it, and 
you know, I kind of do miss that really tactility of, of, of that type of design where yeah. it was a lot more... But, but by the same token, it's amazing with the technology we have now that you can kind of design really quickly and 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 come up with lots of different options. And, and it is a much more fast-paced, you know, uh, occupation now than it was. How did you get into the environmental design wayfinding, you know, signage specifically? Is that just through the, the previous experience with Gary? Yeah, like, I mean... It, 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 a big part of Gary's business um, was doing uh, signage and environmental graphics programs. Um, so I pretty much just had learnt, learnt that skill on the job. I think my, um, my first project um, that I actually worked on was um, back in 1988 uh, where I worked on the uh, Downing Centre Law Courts here in Sydney. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's funny because I actually drove past the building yesterday on my way to, to, a, to a meeting and um, I saw the signing system through the windows um, and it's still in place, you know, 35 years later. So it's uh, it's, it's it's interesting that it's still sort of it's still there. <laughs> you know, a project which I still love and is still used on a daily basis, the City of Sydney oh, yes. uh, branding, which you did. Oh yes. <laughs> Talk about that. Yeah, look, I mean, that was um, that was just a very simple project. Uh, the you know, City of Sydney wanted to, um, you know, reinvigorate their their brand, and um, um, yeah. I, I was fortunate to be the designer that was uh, was working on it. So I just, I guess, I wanted something that um, was was um, very iconic, very very memorable, and I kind of used the idea of uh, an exclamation mark. So I actually kind of structured the the design so that there was the crest, which was in a circle um, at, at the at the bottom of the logo, and then I sort of stacked the type in a really kind of compressed. I think it was like a compressed Helvetica, uh, yeah. so that it actually. At a glance, you sort of see it as almost like an exclamation yeah. mark. And when when was that? That would have been. Mm, I would like. To, I'd in like the fifties. In nineteen ninety one, maybe. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, it still looks. It still looks fresh today. That's yeah. really. It was really kind of cool to see. So, you know, marks tend to kind of get tired over time, but that felt like maybe it was timeless in, the, in when it was produced. Yeah. So, in terms of signs and wayfinding, are working in the physical environment. Yeah. And, and signage and wayfinding, working with architects, it's, yep. it's, it's so exciting because yep. you're, you know that what you're designing is not like a, a magazine yeah, or some tran- packaging. It's not transitory. It's, it's there for exactly. minimum 15 years. <laughs> well, I think that that's what excited me about it. Like, you know, anytime I, I worked on a project, like, you know, if I, you know, for example, the Qantas, you know, headquarters or yep. Barangaroo signage systems, just being able to walk there and just seeing people interact and experience your work is, is, is deeply, you know, yeah. enjoyable and gratifying. Yeah. Because you feel like you've actually contributed to to people's experience, you know, of you know visiting and interacting with the space. It's really true, and and you see, like, say, Barangaroo or, or like projects like that, which is like incredible modern for uh, modern architecture. Yes. And working closely with the architects and actually creating something, a sign form or signage or typography, messaging that is on a par with that mm, or mm. is complementary towards that. Absolutely. And obviously being the choice of materials is a major part in that. And, exactly. and in Australia, in Sydney specifically, we have a phenomenally harsh environment as yep. well with the heat and the sun. Absolutely. So yep. designing for, clearly for helping people find their way around places, yep. I guess the less amount of signage as possible. Yep. There is a skill to that, doing something that's sympathetic to the architects as well. Absolutely. And I think that, um, I guess, one of the, one of my stated goals whenever I kind of 
and undertake a wayfinding program is ensuring that whatever we design really seamlessly integrated with within the architecture and the environment and not sort of causing any additional visual or spatial clutter. You know, it actually felt like it was part of the conceived, you know, uh, the whole project, how it was conceived, yeah. didn't feel like okay, this is an ad- an add-on. It's actually part of the whole design expression of a space. And they're kind of a celebration. In a way, it's a, a marking and a celebration of a moment in time as well. Yep. Um, because obviously, signage has been around forever, mm. um, and signage. I don't think signage is the wrong term. I, I find it too, it's like saying graphic design. For yeah. me, it's too limiting. There's much more of a, a deeper science to yep. uh, creating navigational tools for people to find their way. Absolutely. And I, I think first and foremost, um, you know, the, way, the way we approach our, our, our project is very much taking a, a user-centric approach yep. where we really spend time understanding the perspective of all the different types of users that might be you know, interacting with a space or a building mm-hmm. and making sure that you, when you design the system, you're actually ad- designing it to address their needs and, you know, and how they're going to navigate a, uh, their way through, you know, whether it be a precinct or a building or, a, you know, whatever it might be that you're actually kind of designing a system for. Yeah. One of the things I think is something that we're particularly good at as a business is because we do branding as well as mm-hmm. signs and wayfinding yep. and uh, place branding, et cetera, we're working right across society in, in a lot of different ways, is that um, it's not just simply signage. Like when we did the all three towers of um, Barangaroo, worked with yeah. each of the tenants, so Lend-Lease and H... Who, who were the tenants? Yeah, HBC. HBC, and, then, and there was also Westpac, a few other... Yeah. Helping them with their interior designers unpack their brand values yeah. and create a signage system. So it's not just, sign, hey, where's the toilet? Yeah but it's doing it sympathetically on, on brand with their organization. Absolutely. Yeah. They've often given us a, a complete freedom to reinterpret that as well, which I yep. think is super special. Do you want to talk about that? <laughs> yeah, look, and I, th- I think that often, you know, when you think about, you know, how do you in- integrate a, in a brand or how do you kind of represent a brand of an organization? You know, you think, oh, do you just put their logo behind reception? But often what we try and do is we try and, we try and interpret the, the values of an organisation um, and, and find inspiration in, in how that can be expressed. And, and often it, it, those, those things can't really happen in isolation. It has to happen through dialogue with the client and, and with the interior designer to ensure that, you know, whatever we're adding um, to the space does really kind of contribute to, to people's, you know, enjoyment of the space because often you're designing, um, you know, insertions that people have to live with day in and day out. So. Yeah. You don't want to kind of be, you know, giving it away straight away, like in something that you, someone might get sick of straight away. You want to kind of design something that, you know, does have longevity and that does kind of, you know, just like, you know, the furniture selection or the, you know, the way the, plan, the space is planned, whatever we put in does have something that contributes to a greater, you know, um, pleasure and, and experience of the space. I think that's, that, that's kind of one of the goals, obviously, we... That we aim for. Yeah, I think a great example of that is when we had the opportunity to refresh Qantas's brand in terms of the expression of the brand across, you know, their menus, in-flight menus, their yep. annual report, their well, science and wayfinding, their new headquarters, um, yep. their training center. There was a, there was tons of the new new the check-in system. Exactly. Yeah, that there was, was right. a hell of a lot of work that we did there, but it was a time when we 
create a new font for them and all mm. that. So yep. talk about that, because that, that was really, uh, I mean, incredibly exciting to do an airport signage, but an, an airline yes. signage, yeah. um, and, and at the time, their headquarters as well. Yeah, look, I mean, I think um, that was still one of my favourite jobs is doing that, uh, that uh, next, what they call it, the next generation check-in system, because it was obviously, a, at the time, it was quite a radical idea to kind of um, remove all the check-in desks and just have people yeah. sort of self-checking in. And I think that, you know, the, uh, it, it was greatly, it was very enjoyable, first of all, kind of working through the, through the problem of how you would do that, but then being able to kind of go to any airport around Australia and, and seeing how much more effective um, that system and, and what we're able to put into that system in terms of communication uh, to help people yeah. through that whole process is just, I think, it's sped up checking you know, greatly. And I think it's still added to that to the aesthetic experience of, uh, and of, of the, how you actually kind of, you know, navigate through an airport because obviously that, you know, airports tend to be, um, you know, um, places where people are very much sort of task-focused where they need to kind of get from A to B really quickly. So being able to kind of give them those tools to actually do that and facilitate that process is, you know, a a very particular problem, which might be very different, for example, if you're designing a signing system for, you know, know, a shopping centre, for example, which might might require a different set of, of... uh, of principles, yeah, which we've done as well. Yeah, um, but this is this is also was done way before uh, the supermarkets were doing self check checkout. Yeah, um, and I remember walking, getting on a Qantas flight or trying to get on a Qantas flight initially with that system, going, "Holy hell, <laughs> what do you do?" <laughs> you know, you're so used to being helped along the way. Exactly. We've now moved in in the society to um, it's everything seems to be automated. Everything seems to be very much kind of up to the individual. Yep. Self banking, mm-hmm. you know, all the way that we we kind of make transactions now is is frictionless. Yes, tra- transactions. I think is what they say. Do you think we've lost that by by removing that human side of things? Do you think we've lost anything in that way? Look, I think that um, there's always an e- economic imperative to you know these sorts of decisions that get made. So there's no doubt that um, you know um, shareholders would <laughs> be uh, happy that these things are happening because it's you know allowing an organisation to be much more efficient. Um, I, I don't doubt that, um, you know, the, the, the loss of that human touch is in certain um, uh, sectors or certain business types is is perhaps not ideal. Yeah. But I think when you, when that imperative is like, you know, you need, to get, you need to get the most number of people through this and you need to kind of like generate, you know, a volume of movement, you know, it's, um, it's one of those things where you kind of, you're fighting against that. Yeah, uh, I guess it's become incredibly intuitive now, isn't it? Yeah. It's been refined. Yeah. You've worked on lots of projects. Um, uh, as I mentioned, Barangaroo. Um, one thing that we've done as an organization, we've done about eight hospitals over the last few years, which yep. has been pretty amazing. Yeah. Again, a very potentially stressful environment for some people. But yep. talk a bit about that, like how we approach kind of uh, hospital projects because they're, they're big. They're yeah. big, huge, and really, really important places. Yeah, look, I mean, that's certainly, even the way that those projects are delivered now, it's been evolving, you know, and continues to evolve. Um, you know, first and foremost, you know, as I mentioned before, taking very much a user-centric approach to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that a lot of the project, a lot of the hospitals that we're working on at the moment, there are a lot of sort of project user groups yep. where, you know, you, you are um, presenting your, your ideas and your approaches to the various representatives that represent the various 
users that are going to be using the hospital and making sure that you know, the proposals that you're putting forward do actually um, solve the problems that they're looking to solve. Yeah. Um, and I think that with a, a complex um, building like a hospital, it's critically important that you um, plan um, the system so that there's a really logical and intuitive flow and making sure that it, you know, it, it does guide users from one point to another without any ambiguity. Uh, or without any unnecessary kind of complexity, mm-hmm. um, as you said, like you know, hospitals are usually very stressful environments. You might have, you know, um, a, a relative coming to visit a, you know, a sick, you know, a sick child or a parent, and you want to be able to kind of give them those tools, give them those tools, to be able to kind of find their way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, designing um, wayfinding systems within the architecture that doesn't add to clutter, mm-hmm. um, that it's also very visible and legible so that it's, you know, able to be um, appreciated and read at different times of the day and night, yeah. from different angles and things like that, making sure that everything's very clear and simple, very concise and understandable, mm-hmm. uh, and making sure that everything's sort of very consistent. I think that's some p- a big part of the way we design signing systems is, is designing them almost as a, as a kit where there's a, there's a, a family of, of r- related scale and, and proportion and colour and you know, iconography and typography so that there's you know, you're removing any kind of chance of any confusion uh, and also obviously making sure that there's a, a great appreciation for accessibility making sure that you're accommodating different types of demographics and people with disabilities and you know dda and bca guidelines and making sure and there are they're also constantly evolving as well so we have to need, need to keep abreast of you know those universal design principles you sound like you're just describing yourself <laughs> about, about everything. This, the, all that goes into it, yeah. is actually that absolutely spot on with your yeah. approach. Yeah. Um, does, does clutter stress you out? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you must hate it here. <laughs> no, that's pretty, pretty neat. <laughs> I tied it up. Yeah, like I must admit, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a bit of a neat freak. I like to, I like things to be ordered. You yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you also worked with. Um, a wonderful lady called Meredith on Leighton and Report for oh, yes. 23 years. Yes. And it was just incredible. I remember seeing each year the reiteration of that yeah. ca- coming out. I mean, at a time when obviously and reports had to be printed. Yep. Um, and they put a lot of time and energy into those things because they were the only way to communicate to yep. the shareholders, you know, how the business was doing. Yeah. Talk about that. Yeah, look, I mean, as I said, yeah, Meredith and I kind of collaborated on the Leighton thing group annual report for, for 23 years and it was uh, yeah, every every year there was a, a slightly different brief but you you did know that there was very firm parameters around which you you had to work um we we're very fortunate that uh, we had amazing uh, photography to work with uh, craig Kulstrom was the sort of primary uh, uh photographer and also carl schwertfeger was another photographer that oh, cool. the company company used so we always had great great imagery to work with and um it was just really about sort of you know designing it in, in a very clean and logical way and obviously with a very kind of um i guess conservative audience yeah. um you know we did there were certain sections of the report where you could have a bit more fun and creativity but it had to be very rigorously designed and and, and laid out but i did enjoy that aspect of it just trying to solve um you know, solve those those you know very particular type of problems but yeah, it was it was it was it was it was fun because you got to kind of really be, you know, um, you know, it's almost like my own little project that you could focus on for a couple of months each year. And yeah, yeah. I I thought that was it. 
you know, over the years we've had that situation. Sometimes you get a big corporation. That, that is a big organization. Yeah, like, absolutely. But it was really cool to... And I remember working with the editor of the independent newspaper in London. Yeah. And he sat next to me in yeah. my <laughs> spare room in my, in my apartment. <laughs> and uh, I was like going, my God, this is the editor of the newspaper sitting here talking <laughs> to me. And you had yeah. the, the marketing manager of Leighton sitting next to you for, for days. Yes. Working so <laughs> intimately and closely together. And yeah. I think that that, is that something we've lost? We certainly, I don't think we do it, do it to that level anymore. I think that in a way, I guess it was, I guess personality of, of someone like Meredith who did feel very passionate about it and wanted to be involved in the creation process. Being a designer herself, she actually, yeah, actually went right. to the same same college that I went to, did the same course that I think she was a couple of years ahead of me. Yeah. So I think that she kind of like, because her job was more in that sort of communications management sort of role, didn't have as much day-to-day kind of involvement in, in, in creating. I think that was sort of her, I guess, outlet as well. Yeah. Kind of being involved in the creative process and I think she enjoyed that as well. Yeah, wonderful lady. Um, people say that you're only as good as your client, you know, a good client, good brief, mm. mutual respect and trust and Absolutely. all that is so important, isn't it? It's vital. I think it is. Yeah. We've had some incredible moments over the years and, and, um, one of the things which I remember fondly is when we, when we created the brand, um, for Venice Biennale of Architecture, Australian oh, yes. Pavilion, yeah. uh, back in 2008, I think it was. Um, and then we went to the Venice Biennale. We did. Uh, you've been there before. I, I hadn't <laughs> been there before. And I, I didn't get lost, but I, I absolutely loved it. And it was yeah. an incredible, incredible when, I don't know, architects are incredible. And yeah. when they're all together, <laughs> it's yeah. just amazing. Just the passion uh, for creativity and, you know, making places that people thrive in and enjoy in. And I know, yeah. they, I know in the past they got the rap of... Mm. You never never see a, an architect's picture of a building with people in it, but mm-hmm. they, they it's it's not true. I mean, they uh. they designed for people, and it's working in the built environment for me is one of the most exciting things that we do. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. And I think that what other what other fond projects have you you uh, can think of? Look, I mean, I, I, if I could make a comment about the the, the Venice Biennale, obviously that was very enjoyable going there and seeing the work we've done in situ in a different country. Um, I, I think that um, the way that those sort of older cities were designed were very much around people. Uh, I recall a story that um, my mum told me a number of years ago about her own sort of home village. Yeah. Um, where it was, you know, that people knew knew each other. Like it was very intimate. You mm. know, people would um, sit outside their houses and chat and all the kids yeah. played around the plaza and... Um, she actually noted that, you know, that was sort of, you know, around about the mid, fift- mid to late 50s when the television came in and suddenly everybody went indoors ah. and that whole kind of interaction wow. between people kind of, even in a, in a small Italian town like that, was sort of suddenly cut off and I guess that's a sort of, uh, gives you kind of a, a appreciation of what, what technology, you know, the negative effects of how technology yeah. can have on the way people interact and, and appreciate, you know, each other. Well, I guess that was... TV was it predominantly a vehicle for advertising? Was it like is it really the shows were built to sell products? I mean, we all we've yeah. been manipulated for forever now, haven't we? Yeah, for sure. Look, I, I think it was just such a novelty back then, you know, with a sort of little Italian town in the middle of nowhere, you know, kind of suddenly kind of having this little shiny box. I mean, I, I can't imagine everyone would have would have been able to afford one, but you know, it's no. still that sort of 
the effect that that would ha- that has on the fabric of uh, of the way that people kind of relate to one another it was quite you know quite quite significant well connection is what that's about and mm. that locality and community and knowing your surroundings being familiar with it i guess in the world of technology today we we pick up a phone and we can see yep. any part of the world at any moment in time live. Yep. We have, we're bombarded with information constantly. Yep. Um, I guess there's a lot of people kind of feeling they wish they were that little, the little lady in the Italian village sitting outside <laughs> her house, <laughs> you know, talking to... Talking Simpler to time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that you just adapt, don't you? You really do adapt to, um, to the circumstances you get presented with. Yeah. Uh, I know that I certainly, you know, um, find, find myself doing that. I think that that idea, you call it decluttering or simplification of things. I yeah. think that reduction is an important part of of what we do and something that you're absolutely passionate about. Yeah. Because often people come to us with very complex problems mm. or a lot of information. Yes. Uh, a lot of nuances, etc. And often they've lost the clarity of what mm. they should do. Yep. Talk about that, because I think that is something that is, you do that incredibly well, and it's something that that simplification reduction, you kind of talked mm. about. Yeah. I think yeah, various yeah. kind of hero, design heroes of yours we're, we're equally did that way, way back with, with yeah. less technology associated with that. Yeah, I think it's just about it's about sort of synthesising the problem and, and making the, the, the complex seem easy, or seem, seem more comprehensible. I think that that's... You know, as as problem solve, creative problem solvers, what we do very well is is we kind of analyze the problem. We look at all look at it from all the angles, and then we try and find that sort of that key point or that key yeah. kind of point of difference that you know, is only unique to that problem. Yeah, and and don't, and, don't, and then bring that to the fore. Yeah, I think that that's sort of what I think what we kind of really I think is a big part of the ethos of how we approach creative problems, and um, it's certainly something that you know I've always tried to do. In my work, is just really try and hone in on 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 that, you know, stripping everything back to to the bare bones and yeah. and 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 and, exp- and and bringing that out, expressing that. What's your favorite font? Uh, I kind of go through through um, yeah, every every time I get asked this question, it's always a different font. But I I still have a, a strong sort of you know um, affection for sort of truly sort of classic modernist fonts like Accidents Grotesque and Helvetica. Yeah. It's just a you know a beautiful simplicity yeah. to and timelessness to those that uh, you know I, I was never a big serif uh, serif font fan but yeah. I guess these days there's just a, there's a new font that comes out every day so it's yeah I, I you know there's a time there where I could probably recite most of the fonts that were out there but if yeah. someone showed me a font now I wouldn't have a clue what it was because often it's like oh that looks like Helvetica but they've changed <laughs> by a lot of three percent and, oh, and yeah. given it a different name you know. But that's that's I, I feel exactly the same. I, I look at it, I used to know all the fonts and well, there was only a handful of them at the time. Yeah. And used to play with them and make make good things out of them, and always yeah. always make something different out of the same uh, yeah. ingredients. Yeah. But like you say, like you look at a, you know, we were doing a website recently, and I don't know what the <laughs> font's called, but Richard was Turn- designing. Turnery, it. I think it's called. Yeah, and I'm going that. Is that Helvetica? <laughs> no, it's not. It's a new cool font. It's like, well, hang on, that looks like <laughs> that's not that far off though. Yeah. Um, you've been sadly you've been through a really shit time in this last um, year or two, and mm-hmm. and you know um, you had health 
issues, but which you've yep. now in a, in a, in a really good situation. You lost yep. both your parents within, I don't know, six weeks of each other, which is yeah. unbelievable. And, yep. and I cannot, I, I don't know how you managed to cope with that, but um, and I know it's still mm. recent. Yes. And um, yeah. do you want to talk about that after having yeah. a dad? Certainly, you talked earlier about your dad being a very firm, disciplinary yeah. guy. I mean, it's how did, how have you managed that situation? Look, I think I've. I think I've actually coped a lot better than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. Um, from from the outside looking in, you think, well, this must be really hard. But I've, I've got a very supportive, you know, and loving wife and family. Yeah. Um, I got. I was fortunate enough to spend be able to spend a lot of time with my parents over yeah. the last few years. I'm mean, only only lived about you know five or ten minutes or five minutes from my from my house, so I would pop in every weekend, you know, and, and have a coffee and a and a chat with them. So I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I kind of um, you know, missed it, missed out on a lot. We got to speak, about, you know, talk about, you know, old times and yeah. things like that. And they kind of got to see, you know, my kids grow up and as well. And um, yeah, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's, you just got to have a really kind of positive mindset that you just know that it's always going to turn out all right. Yeah. And I think I've been a fairly, opt- I've always been a fairly optimistic person. Yeah. Even when I went through my sort of health, health issues in the last sort of you know eighteen months, I. I can I guess I always th- believed that I would kind of come out of it. I didn't kind of I had sort of this sort of unshaking belief that you know it would always it would always sort of turn out good. And I don't know whether that's a, a naive way of, of looking at it, but I think if you if you kind of put your mind in that posi- in that place where you you know that it's gonna it's gonna be good, I feel that that kind of yeah shapes things in a way. I don't know, like it's, I don't want to sound a bit too woo woo about that no, kind of stuff. That's not woo woo. That's talk, talking from the heart, and that's yeah. really really important. Yeah. Um, as much as we are business mm. people, mm. we're equally human beings, yeah. and and family, and and all that is so important. Yeah. And also looking after your health. I mean, you made an incredible recovery from that, and yep. um, which is really really exciting. And you've been doing karate for twenty three years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you were not a one. You know, you haven't got a black belt. You got fourth. You're fourth Dan. Yeah, that's right. If I said that correctly, that's is that right. four times black belt? <laughs> yes, it is. Shouldn't, can they just make another color? Like this. <laughs> Do you actually wear four black belts? Or no, what? No, just the one. Okay, all right. But the next one is actually a, 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 a red belt with a black bit in the middle. So Ooh. that's for the fifth done. That's when are you getting that? I don't know. I'm hoping to uh, do my grading at the end of next year for that, depending on how everything goes. And talk about that because that's that's something that you do mm. not to beat people up. It's more. <laughs> It's a very neat. All. It's a very kind of neat exercise, isn't it? It's very disciplined. It, it very is. It nice, is nice branding. It's been it's been very good. Karate has been very good for me, just from not only for my body but also for my mind and my spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's contributed greatly to, I guess, my overall confidence and the way I carry myself. Um, I mean, it was something that I sort of took up, you know, initially um, as a distraction from work because yeah. you know, back in the day, I mean, I was very much just focused on work and I'd, you know the hours. Yeah, I'd be working, you know, s- seven days a week, you know, till midnight at night and weekends yeah. and things like that and. Oh, uh, midnight? You're only part-time <laughs> then. Occasionally, <laughs> occasionally the all-nighter. Oh, no, um, it's, it was brutal, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. I but I think it's because you love what you're doing and you didn't really think about it as work. It's just like, I've got this problem to solve. I've got this job to, to, yeah. to, to do. I want to I want to do it to the best of my ability and put everything into it. But I think my wife got sick of me just you know looking at design books during my downtime. So she said, look, you need to do something else. So, yeah. Um, it was kind of like um, something that I kind of wanted. I did with my 
initially just with my, my whole family. I think we turned up on the first night, all four of us. <laughs> uh, oh, only, wow. my, only myself and my son sort of stuck it out. My son actually, my son Luke, ended up uh, getting his, his black belt um, also. Wow. But I, I also enjoy, I guess, the teaching aspect of it. I, I kind of volunteer at yeah. the local uh, RSL Youth Club um, teaching classes sort of a couple of nights a week. Um, but I, I, I do enjoy the the structure of karate and the sort of the the goal setting aspect of it because you're yeah. always going for a different belt and um, learning all the different sort of techniques and forms. Yeah. I mean, I c- competed in you know, state and national tournaments and you know, won won medals at, you know, at those levels. So don't do that anymore. A bit old for that, but <laughs> I do I do enjoy you know that 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 aspect of, of martial arts and karate. Where is is it a team sport? Uh, not so, so much. In you're all individuals fighting. Yeah, in, individuals or, or fighting competing. Is too brutal yeah. word. Competing. I mean, we, I, I used to enjoy the actual kata um, component of karate, which is the forms where you basically kind of, you know, do competing against another person, and, and the judge, and then you get judged based on who does those forms, you know, with the the best strength and discipline and uh, you know focus. Yeah. Um, so I do, I do enjoy that aspect of it. I just, just the, I guess, the discipline of it. Yeah, and keep doing it. Keep doing it because it's good for your mental health and your physical health. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You also designed your own home, uh, which is beautiful, which you built over a, f- a few years. Um, yep. I just did something similar, not not as grand. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what was the experience like for you? Um, obviously, yeah. I, I remember you showing me the mood board and the brief. You're going, <laughs> Jesus Christ, he's artworked the brief. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, well typeset. Yeah. But, I think it was probably one of the most satisfying kind of things I'd done probably in my life and up to that time anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just like put together like a 30-page brief for the architect, uh, lots of reference images and, um, you know, got to choose all the materials and, you know, floor finishes and did lighting diagrams and carpentry diagrams and, you know, briefed subcontractors and things like that. So I really enjoyed the sort of that creation process and yeah. very fortunate they had a great builder to work with as well who... Also shared my passion for good design and you know, had a great attention to detail. Yeah. So yeah, it was v- very rewarding. It's kind of funny. Like once we completed it and we moved in, I remember feeling like really depressed. Oh, I couldn't like, what, what? And then I kind of realised I've just achieved a goal that I didn't think I would achieve for years and ah. years. And I was like, now what? It kind of left this void where it's like, what am I going to do now? Like, what? I need to kind of, yeah. you know, come up with something else. So I think that that's something that's really important that you kind of got to always have something to strive towards it's it's, it's that's interesting I, I know when i was looking at um i did a little bit of a refurb um or, uh, in our place and um you look at interior design magazines for reference mm. and every month there's like five different ones come out that yeah. are kind of the key ones here in australia yes and every month there's a whole bunch of new stuff yeah yeah new interiors exactly. new tables chairs lights yeah. you know door openers whatever it might be it's like you're going I, I, you kind of there's so much incredible stuff out there. It's really hard, yeah. I think, to mm. make um, a decision yep. and ultimately live in that decision. Mm. Mm. So, and it's it's and it's a phenomenal nesting and creating your own place yep. um, for your for your family yep. and uh, and how important that is for their well being, your well being, yep. and how you feel. Yep. Etc. I know you felt frustrated because the job was done, but <laughs> it must give you kind of a sense of kind of pride and and feel good. Definitely. I mean, what would you have, would you have done anything different? Uh, no, look, I don't think so. And I think that you know, like, I I designed it so that it was just a very minimal 
shell and then I think the sort of the personality comes in in the furniture furniture yeah. and I mean I've designed a number of furniture pieces that I had built that um, yeah. you know that are, that, uh, that are in the house and I've actually got some on the drawing board at the moment which I'm hoping to um, cool. have in the next couple of or in the next 12 months yeah. um, you know I always like to have these little sort of you know, private little side project little furniture design projects and things like that so I think that as long as you can kind of kind of keep adding and evolving it you know you know you're obviously going to get sick of the furniture and you want to change it and stuff like that but I think the, it's got good bones, so anything yeah. you kind of live within it. Yeah. And congratulations. You've had sad news recently, but you've had incredible new news. Yep. Your daughter, Bella, uh, your grandfather. Yes. A nonno <laughs> uh, in Italian. Um, was it four weeks ago? Four weeks. Yeah, four weeks tomorrow, actually. Yeah. Wow. Little Miller. That's right. Yeah. Is she cute? She's gorgeous. <laughs> oh, I can't wait till you bring her in. Yeah. Um, how does that make you feel? Ah, oh, look, I feel really proud and you know really obviously thrilled for my for my daughter and um just sort of seeing how happy she is yeah um you know in, in her um relationship with her partner but also you know just seeing how she's really sort of thriving and and, and the joy that she, that um little miller has given to to anna my wife as well just sort of seeing that and you know we're very fortunate that you know um bella moved back in with us and so we are able to sort of see our granddaughter sort of grow in front of our, yeah. front of our, our own eyes is, is, is beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Isn't that amazing? Can you talk about the, the, the grandmother in the Italian village? Yes. And it's kind of in a way something there, isn't there, yeah. where that, the, the home, the family, yeah. and your family coming back together. Yeah. And then the new uh, little uh, granddaughter. Yeah. It's I kind of felt something's kind of full circle in I, a way. I think that... that um, you know, I think the you look at look at a traditional Italian village. You know, they say that you know the it, it takes a whole village to bring up bring up a child, and I think that yeah. that is something that you know in a industrial Western sort of city, yeah, you, you don't have that because yeah. often you're not living close to your relatives or parents, and you know having that support I think is um, and I certainly when my kids were growing up, we were fortunate that I had, we had both um, Anna's parents and my parents to to look after the kids so we were able to continue working whilst they sort of babysat the kids before school age yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that certainly helped the kids bond with their their, their grandparents as well yeah. so I feel like that that's a really great thing that you know now we're able to do as well yeah um with with our granddaughter so yeah I think it's a really really something very special yeah that's really special well look Carlo we'll wrap it up but um thanks for being on the podcast Thank you, um, <laughs> and thanks for being my business partner. And, and I'm, I'm truly honoured to be your business partner yeah, uh, too. I, and um, we've had a great time yeah. so far. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been amazing. Yeah. It's been a journey. Yeah. All right, bud. Thank you so much. Cool. Thanks for listening in to today's episode of Design Your Life with Carlo Gianasca. Tune into the first episode in the new year in late January, where I catch up with Emilia Taragni. Associate Publisher at Fiden, the international publishing house behind some of the most influential books in the world across design, culture, and lifestyle. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Life. If you'd like to find out more about how you can design your life, head to the website at designyourlife.com.au. If you found this episode inspiring, please don't forget to review and subscribe. If you have any ideas or like to get in touch, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at frostcollective.com.au.